The, the problem is, is that you just can't do that. Every integration that you do introduces another potential failure point or leakage point for your claims reimbursement process. I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are, how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we got Paul Singh, CEO of Strata PT, Strata EMR. Paul, how the heck do you guys get 99% payment reimbursement? I know that's like the big thing I, that you guys have is your marketing message. I love it. It's different. It's unique. How's that even possible? And is, is it 99% of whatever is not billed out, but actually like agreed upon? Or is it like 99%? Yeah, but it's going to take, I don't know, years or something like a long duration over time, which then makes it easier to potentially collect that much. Like, how is this even possible? Well, there's a lot in there, a lot to that question. But the let's start from the 50,000 foot view. It's a combination of lots of technology and lots of good people. And actually, I misspoke. It's not lots of good people. So our entire team today is a grand total of, I believe, 32 full-timers, all based here in the U.S., but something like 75, 80% of our claims never require any human intervention. They just sort of flow through the system. So now going from that 50,000 foot view, I'll get to the real question, a real answer to the question, which is you can't get that level of claim reimbursement unless you stop mixing and matching your technology. So in other words, you can't just have some random EMR bolted to some random billing process, whether that's internal or external bolted to some other scheduling tool, bolted to some other review tool. You just The problem is, is that you just can't do that. Every integration that you do introduces another potential failure point or leakage point for your claims reimbursement process. And so for us, it really just comes down to this idea that we give away a free EMR and it's entirely free. It's There's no like seat licenses or some gotcha there. But the entire EMR is then built to be billing aware. And over the years, as we've kind of grown with our own customers, that EMR has expanded in capabilities to do everything from scheduling to uh, you know, documentation to even capturing reviews at post-visit, you know, that sort of thing. So kind of a long-winded answer, but, the, but it really just comes back to two core ideas. Number one, technology plus people. And then number two, you just can't mix and match stuff. Just Every piece of software needs to be billing aware or you're going to run into problems. Right. And I know you guys are putting out more and more content around this. And I love what I'm seeing from you guys. But there's other, let's say like, I don't know, incumbents without mentioning any names or whatever. But like across the industry, I've heard you say some things recently about other EMRs historically will be okay with like, I don't know, 70 or 80 percent. Or, or 60 or 70 or 80% of payment reimbursement where they will, because they're, you know, moderately to larger size companies, they kind of like, they don't, they just, you know, they tell the practice like, yeah, we're not going to get that. Or, you know, it's a write-off or, you know, whatever, you just kind of write off the difference. 
And I guess, I don't know, like, I know there's a, a whole thing, you know, whole like river yeah. that we could, you know, kind of flow into with that because maybe that's just how it's always been done. You guys are doing things differently, but it's like, that's like the status quo. And it seems like you guys are trying to, I don't know, push the envelope or, you know, optimize legally and compliantly what's possible. Yeah. So I'll kind of start by saying two things. The first is, is that, you know, something like 70 to 80% of our new clients every month actually migrate from those other EMRs that, that we won't name, but you can just throw a dart at some names on the wall and you'll know who we're talking about here. But so something like 70 to 80% of our new clients every month migrate from those other platforms. And so they've, they've kind of like seen the grass on the other side. And, and then, you know, eventually you get sick and tired of barely making payroll or, you know, having to chase everything or that sort of thing. And then the second part to this response is that billing is unsexy. Billing is one of those things that is either in your DNA or it's not. And so to put it really bluntly, you know, it's one thing to start writing some code and, and build an EMR and, and learn how to do that and have focus groups and stuff like that. That, that is important, obviously. And you can learn that. A lot of people can learn that. But the billing side, this sort of constant David versus Goliath battle between the insurance payers and the, the practice owners and the, you know, the, the patients and stuff like that, that's the kind of work that is not, it's hard to learn it and it's hard to love that kind of work. So for us as a company, we started as a billing company, just the abridged version of our history. We're 13 years old now, almost 14 years old actually now. And we started as a traditional billing company. And at, over the years, we sort of found our way going more and more towards technology and eventually building our own EMR because, you know, it isn't possible to get those sorts of 99% collection rates unless you control the full stack. I'll actually amend my response and add a third thing in there, which is, you know, somebody smart, somebody really smart once said that, you know, if you show show me a, a person's incentives, I'll show you what they do. And here's the thing, like when I make up those stats or when I tell you those stats about how a lot of our clients come over and they are, you know, our competitors are giving them 60, 70% collection rates and stuff like that. I'm not making that up. In fact, when you migrate to our system, you're transferring all your data over. We know factually what we're, we're up against. And so the fact is like, we will usually get a, when we onboard new clients, usually within three to four weeks after they're onboarding, we'll get like a frantic call, you know, and they'll be like, Oh my God, something's wrong. And our account manager will say, well, what do you mean? Say there's just too much money in the account. And that's, that's, you know, sort of a reflection. I, I shouldn't make fun of that. I'm just saying that's sort of a reflection of what people have gotten used to, um, Wild. you know, so what you'll see with some of these other competitors is, is that because the bulk of their money is made on software subscription fees, that $20 claim or that $27 claim or that $32 claim, which may not seem like a lot to them, but could be a lot to a practice owner, doesn't get the same amount of attention as maybe a $200 claim or a $300 claim. And so, yeah, so I guess summary there, again, would just you know be those three things. You know, it's... it's um, Anyway, let me pause there. But the competitors are aware. I've actually gotten calls from a couple of them this, this, actually this month because we're putting a lot of pressure out there by saying software should be free. You know, you really should not have to pay for the software that runs your practice. Yeah, so practitioners that use Strata, they pay a percentage of collections or you guys take a percentage of collections, but then there's no other monthly recurring subscription for the medical record, for documentation, for scheduling, 
any of the software components. So basically, like, and this is how I like this is how I pay my biller as well. Like, it's a it's a percentage of collections, and they fight for you know pretty much every dollar. Like, their incentives are aligned with our incentives, as opposed to making some money from you know software receipts software. and subscription and all that, and then right. also the billing component. So that's where right. you guys are different. I think you might be. I don't know. I think you're like the only EMR in physical therapy or therapy in general that maybe has that model. I don't know. I mean, I think, look, I, obviously I admit I'm supposed to drink my own Kool-Aid because I, I like my own Kool-Aid, but, but I think that what we do is pretty unique in the sense that we are really putting our money where our mouth is. We are, you know, and I, I don't mean to pick on whatever builder you're using, for example, but, you know, for us, we're not just billers, you know, almost half of our team is actually engineers and developers and, and designers. So when we think about chasing down that $2 leftover variance on the claim or, or whatever, not only does it matter to us, but we're throwing technology at it to try to figure out how to, how to, how to resolve this. So, and then the other thing I'll just say is we have nothing to fall back on either. You know, so it's not like when I just pick any random client on our platform, you know, it's not like I can look the other way and say, oh, only got 97% on that client, but it's okay because I've got $4,000 a month coming from software fees. I, I, I really have nothing else to fall back on. And so one of the side effects or, you know, benefits, I suppose, of that model where we as a company are so heavily dependent on that collection rate is that we're motivated to find the problem as fast as it is, as we can and fix it because that any delay in revenue for the patient or for the uh, client also delays revenue for us as well. So it's, I know it sounds like overly simplistic, but I guess maybe a topic for a different discussion here uh, someday is that, you know, I don't come from healthcare. I've been a tech investor and an operator for 20 plus years now. And, um, you know, what I've learned along the ways is that the best businesses are simple, you know, in terms of business models, you know? So anyway, I, I can kind of ramble about this for hours, but. Uh, so, so question about the humanistic side of billing versus using more software. Historically, I had heard from some, you know, industry experts that a billing company, in order for it to grow, it's basically like you add more people, you add more like billers, you add more people, whereas you guys are adding more code, more technology and software. So without mentioning even like a type of payer, like regardless of insurance payer, let's say a practice submits a claim through your platform, the ones that either get kicked back or denied or whatever assuming that it's coded properly and that, you know, everything is like kosher with the billing. Historically, I feel like certain claims will then have to be followed up on. And historically, like if you have, if you have billing in-house, it's like your admin, your billing person that's following up on these claims. Like they're calling in, they're sending messages or whatever, they're logging into the, the billing portal or whatever from what it yeah. sounds like. Cause I don't know how much is going on under the hood with you guys, but it sounds like you have figured out more, ways to use technology to follow up on some of those claims that historically would have taken manpower and phone calls or logging in, you know, manually into a portal. Whereas you guys maybe have some additional software that will maybe follow up on these claims with code and technology that doesn't require a human. Yes. So um, the best way for me to maybe comment on this is to maybe tell a quick story. I promise not to take more than a minute and a half on this. A lot of people don't remember that the New York Stock Exchange used to be closed on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays all the way through the 1980s. 
Now, just just for a moment, let's just fast forward to now. Today, you and I can open up our iPhone or Android. We can go to Wealthfront or E-Trade and we can say, buy me $1 of IBM. And we don't think anything of it. You and I, like we take that for granted. People don't realize that just 30 years ago, the New York Stock Exchange had to be closed three days a week, not because of holidays and all that stuff, but because somebody in Oklahoma that wanted to make a trade would have to call some broker in Kansas who would then telegram somebody in New York who would then write it on a piece of paper and then put it on a little skewer in the pit in Wall Street. And then on Wednesdays and Saturdays and Sundays, they'd flip that skewer over and then actually process the trades. What happened between the late 80s and now is the introduction of technology. And the point I'm going to just make very briefly here is, is that as technology came in, what it did was it's, it didn't eliminate the need for human beings in the stock exchange. What it did was it eliminated all the middlemen that didn't add any value. So like, for example, today in 2024 or whatever we're at now, you and I can actually call a broker if we really wanted to, or we can just open up our phone and, and do a, a digital trade. And so now coming back to Strata, that's the view I take on this. There's never going to be a day where I'm going to have zero billers, zero follow-up callers, or zero you know, people on the billing side. But what we can do is, is, so for us, for example, one of our internal metrics is what we call an auto post rate. And that is a percentage that we track on an almost daily basis to understand what percentage of clean claims are going through the system and coming fully back paid without any human intervention. And ideally, we want to see that number always at least at about 80% and steadily climbing as we invest more and more in technology. So, you know, I, I, I'm happy to tell you more about this on the whole, but you started out your question with a comment that like you'd heard that billers need to add more people. And that is factually true if you don't also invest in technology uh, throughout. So there's never going to be a day where there's never any billers or you know people that, that do that. But if we can kind of keep using technology to go from 80% to 85% to 90%, that's our goal. You know, and I, I think um, I see us more when you look at our business. Uh, when I talk to my friends about the business, I sort of describe us as like Stripe for healthcare or like Visa for healthcare. When you, let, let, I'll just say, sorry, I'll give you one more 30 second example. When you and I, let's just say we walked into a Starbucks and let's just say we don't use the app and we go in there and I put in my Visa card or my American Express to buy us both coffee. That transaction goes through like you and I get our coffee right away, Starbucks is probably with a 99.9% .9 chance going to get their money in their bank account within a day or two, right? But there's always that 0.01% where something went wrong. Could be fraud alert, could be something, right? And there's a human being somewhere there at Visa or Amex that has to deal with that. And so that's kind of what I view our future looking like as an industry is that there's no... I'm not trying to say there's ever going to be zero billers, but I do think that, you know, technology can play a bigger and bigger part in this industry and, uh, and we can get practice owners to get paid what they're supposed to get paid. You know, that's just uh, kind of what it should be. Yeah. And I remember recently I heard you saying things around in-house, in-house billers versus like outsourcing it or whether they use Strata or they use someone else. And I actually... I 100% agree with that because you were you were joking around saying like, you know, you could have one or two or three billers. It depends on the size of your practice. 
admin people, billing people in-house. And some practice owners will do that because they want to kind of control the process, even though they might not be specialized in the process or they kind of learn about the process over time. And some practice owners might, you know, be really dialed in and maybe that would be the best for them. But uh, I had a chuckle when I heard you saying things like, you know, even if you had one or two or three billers, you know, they could get sick, they could get COVID, they could, you know, they go on vacation, they get tired, they have things to worry about and things can fall through the cracks and it could be claims, it could be, you know, it could be multiple claims, you know, billing errors and all that occurs. And it's just like, regardless of the money, you could like, why wouldn't you outsource? It just doesn't make sense. Like why, unless the person's a specialist and if they come through billing as a, in a therapy practice, they usually don't have like, there's no major in college for like therapy billing. Right. So yeah. all these people, they, they just, and I heard this from my biller, Andrew Marcus, who said most people who end up in billing, they started in like a Cairo or a therapy office or something as like the secretary or the front desk person, maybe the admin, and they kind of start doing some billing things. And then eventually they become like the de facto, you know, most knowledgeable billing person. And then it's like, oh, we, yeah, we have billing in-house now, but they don't, they don't have the ability to leverage like a suite of tools or technology like you guys do. So it just, I get a chuckle out of it because it's like, yeah, like why wouldn't you outsource billing to some other vendor or to, you know, to a, a platform like Strata because there's no way your folks can be specialists. And then they have all the life things where they get sick, they get tired, they things fall through their cracks. Um, yeah. And, and well, you could be actually losing more money than you think you're saving. Well, you know, the, so first off, for, for you, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you and anybody listening, just secret shop us. Just secret shop us. Because the, what you'll find very quickly is that we're not actually in the business of trying to convince anybody on how to do their billing. If you look at a lot of our message and our, our tools and stuff like that, all we really care about is making sure that everybody gets that 99.999% reimbursement rate. So first thing I'll say on this topic is that, you know, if you actually go to our website, stratapt.com, go up in the top there, you'll see resources and then go to benchmarks and then start to drill down in there. If you start to go into practice benchmarks and payer benchmarks, you can go even deeper into the state level. So like New York or New Jersey or Florida, and we actually now expose publicly the real-time reimbursement rates for various payers and the CPT code combinations that we saw over the last couple hours and how much they actually got reimbursed. So from our perspective, how you whether you use us or you use another biller or you do it in-house, I know this sounds ironic. That's irrelevant to me. I would encourage you to do whatever you like to do. Some people love managing other people. Some people are really, you know, hesitant to let go of, you know, the billing. I get it. So from our perspective, we just keep giving away all this data. It's free. There's no catch. You can go. It's on the website. And just even if you don't want to talk to us, just make sure you're getting paid what you're supposed to get paid. And we put all the data out there. If there's more that people want to see, just email me and I'll, I'll figure out how to aggregate it and anonymize it. And we'll put it out there for you. But then to the other comment that you made about like, why wouldn't they outsource? You know, I think it's a delicate thing. You know, I think that that's the equivalent of me saying, hey, you know, Dave, let me hold your wallet for you. Trust me. Trust me. And I think the your statement, you know, while I, while I do think it would be self-serving to me that, that everybody believes it, the problem is, the problem is that the last 10, 20, 30 years of our competitors have kind of dirtied the word, you know? So, so like, you should be careful about outsourcing. You should be wary of anybody that's not willing to show you the results instead of just telling you. 
I don't mean to sound very cynical here, but like one of my biggest frustrations with the healthcare industry on the whole is how much everybody says, trust me, trust me, we're the best, we're the best, but they actually won't give you any data or proof or even references to verify that. And, um, you know, if you were to look at our strategy over the last 18 months or so, the actual internal documents that I've circulated have all basically boiled up to this one phrase, which is show, do not tell. So if you secret shop us, if you talk to any of our clients or whatever, we're never going to say we're the best. Those are subjective terms. We, we just prefer objective data. So we just publish it all. It's all there. You can see real-time payments coming in on the website, CPT code combinations. You, you know, I mean, yeah, so I get why people are, are uh, a little nervous about outsourcing. They should be. But uh, hopefully through the data that we're publishing, that hopefully people, regardless of whether they in-house it, outsource it, whatever, just use our data to just make sure you're holding your people accountable and getting the, the actual amount you deserve. Because, you know, running a practice is hard. It's, <laughs> it's hard work. So... Awesome. Well, listen, you and I both have a hard stop in a minute or two. So final recap, final thoughts. Man, you know, Dave, I think that, you know, so much of your content is uh, about, you know, the evaluations of, of practices and stuff like that. And I think it's so, so important that people hear it. And I think a big part of that evaluation, you, know, you and I have done episodes before about like, you know, what is the actual, what are the actual books look like and stuff like that. And one of the underlying foundational things is, is that, you know, the cleaner that entire RCM process is, the more valuable the practice gets. And ultimately, you know, the statement, the one statement I'll make, you know, to your audience in particular is, is that ironically, the work required to get your practice sold versus bought is the same. <laughs> but the but the exit multiples might be very, very different, you know, if that, that makes sense. I'll leave it, I'll leave it right there. Right. Yeah. Very true. All right. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time. Subscribe to the Dave show if you have not already on YouTube. Also check out Strata Studios. Paul and his team at Strata PT are putting out awesome content. They're interviewing practice owners, some of their clients and customers. Uh, and, and I love what you're putting out. I saw the Jerry Durham episode recently. It's awesome. Subscribe mm-hmm. to Strata Studios on YouTube as well. Paul, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Dave. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.